0: Could feel myself starting to get nervous, like the anticipation was starting to build up, uh, because I knew exactly what was about to come. Uh, this was a Friday afternoon, our tiny little seventh grade junior high Christian club, and our speaker was ending way too early, which meant only one thing could be coming next. He was going to give us a challenge, and I hated when this happened. Man, it was Friday, we had finished the whole week. Can't I just sit in a nice air-conditioned room, eat my plate of nachos, let the sermon go a little bit long so I don't have to go to class right away? Like, Can't I just have a nice kickback Friday afternoon and now you're going to make me go do something? Sure enough, he wraps up the sermon early and goes, hey, before you leave, I want to give you a challenge. I want you to go out into your school and I want you to tell as many people as you can, Jesus loves you. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. I'm going to sit this play out. I'm just going to kick it, fly under the radar. The problem is all my friends that are in our little Christian club are like, yeah, let's go do it. That's going to be awesome. And if there's one thing that overrides my desire for comfort and ease, it's my competitive, prideful nature. And I'm like, well, if you guys are going to go do it, I'm going to go do it. And I'm going to go do it better than you're going to go do it. I'm going to tell more people than you ever could. So we get out into the quad, and we're making our way through the audience, the whole group of people there, and I'm telling some of my, brand, my, some of my friends, hey, Darren, Jesus loves you. Thanks, man. Hey, Tyler, Jesus loves you. He's like, okay. It's a little awkward, but we'll keep moving. As I'm going through my friends, I see across the quad the most frightening, intimidating individual at our entire school. This guy scared the life out of me. I'll tell you why. He stood at about six feet tall. Now he's probably only about five foot eight, but he wore these huge, thick, black leather platform boots every single day. Wore black leather pants every single day, black trench coat every single day. He has a black shirt on in red writing that says, Mary had a little lamb and I ate it. (laughs) How dare you, sir? What did Mary's lamb ever do to you? He has intentionally grown his fingernails out long. He's got like raptor claws on his hands. He has a full beard. Not like a splotchy prepubescent freshman year beard, like full beard. This guy scared the life out of me. Looked like Morpheus out of the Matrix. Like he was terrifying to me, right? I see him across the quad and I'm like, "I got to go tell this guy Jesus loves you." Not because I actually care about his salvation, but because I'm prideful and competitive. And I'm like, if I go tell Darth Vader and his little posse that Jesus loves you, I win the day. I win. All my friends could be like, yeah, I told 20 people, I told 30 people. I'm like, yeah, I told Freddy Krueger over there and his little homies that Jesus loves you. So I walk up to him, him and his little friends are talking about animal sacrifices or something weird. And I'm like, just standing there. And for what feels like an eternity, 30, 40 seconds, they don't even acknowledge that I'm there. They're just talking. Finally, they turn and look at me. And the head honcho goes, hey, what do you want? I'm like, hey, my name's Chad. Uh, I just wanna tell you, uh, uh, Jesus loves you. And there's a pause, a two second pause. And they erupt into laughter. Now I'm not really sure what to do in this moment, caught off guard. Do I start laughing with them, play it off like this is just a weird joke? Do I, do I go kind of exorcist on them? The power of Christ compels you. Like, what do I do in this moment? I'm not sure. So the only thing that comes to mind is, okay, bye. And I just walk away. <laughs> Seventh grade awkwardness at its pinnacle. I, I, I left this conversation not feeling victorious, not feeling like I had won the day. I left this conversation feeling discouraged, feeling defeated, It's a moment that has stuck with me to this very day. I mean, I I can replay this scene vividly. I'm gonna tell you something that you're probably already very, very aware of. When it comes to us sharing our faith in Jesus with others, it's a very intimidating, frightening prospect. So much so that most of us won't even do it. We are too afraid. We are too intimidated by this. It seems like either fear or just outright apathy keeps us from telling people about our faith. Now, apathy, the apathy we all battle, that'll have to wait for another sermon. Today, I want to try and get after this fear that you and I Carry. if you have your Bibles, grab them, and open up with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible in any way, shape or form, raise your hand. One of our ushers will get a Bible to you. You'll find 1 Corinthians 2 on page 952, if you're using one of our Bibles. Uh, while we're passing these out, let me introduce myself. My name's Chad. I'm one of the pastors here at Shelter Cove. Um, I do want to welcome all of you who are guests with us for the first time. We love that you're here. Uh, I want to let you know this sermon's a little bit geared towards uh, the brothers and sisters in Christ, Um, but listen, this is for you as well because you've got the chance to kind of peek behind the curtain and see why Christians are serious about sharing their faith. It's not because we're a bunch of bigoted, self-righteous jerks. Some of us are, but not all of us actually are. Hopefully what you can see as you kind of get an inside glimpse into our heart is that, that we actually really do care about people. We, we genuinely love Jesus and we genuinely want to follow what he's asked of us. So we're glad that you're here. Big shout out to all of you joining us online and those of you up in the loft, we're stoked to have you here with us. Um, here's what I want to do. Let's stand and read 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We'll pick it up in verse 1 and we'll make our way through verse 5. Here's how my translation begins. And I, that being Paul, the Apostle Paul, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Let's pray. Love you, Lord. Thank you for all these men and women here. God, I pray that you would bless them. I pray, Lord, that you would help us now by your Spirit to truly understand and know what you have for us in this text. God, would you sink the truth of your word deep into our hearts. I pray these things in your wonderful name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> the question on the table today, how do I overcome my fear of sharing my faith? How do I overcome this fear? fear that I have. Now I need to be careful as we get going here because what I'm worried you're hearing when I say the word overcome, I'm worried you're hearing how do I never ever feel fear ever again when it comes to sharing my faith. And I'm worried that that's a false expectation. I'm worried that that's an expectation we can't ever attain to. Here's why I say that because of what Paul just wrote in 1 Corinthians 2. Paul opens up this text by saying, he's recounting what it was like for him to come to the church at Corinth. And he says, listen, when I came to all of you at Corinth, I did not come to you with lofty, flowery, highbrow language. I didn't come to you with crazy, lofty philosophy or theology, even though Paul could have done that. I mean, Paul was brilliant. The man was a Pharisee. Studied under Gamaliel, one of the most prolific Jewish thinkers of the day. The man easily could hang with any intellectual heavyweight of the day. Very, very smart man. But he came to them saying, no, I'm going to come to you humbly. And then he says in verse 2, I didn't want to tell you anything else other than Jesus Christ and him crucified. All I wanted to tell you was that there's a man named Jesus of Nazareth who came to be the substitutionary sacrifice for our sin. Jesus Christ paid the penalty for you and I. He atoned for our past sin, our present sin, and hear me, our future sin. And he didn't just die on the cross. He died on the cross and was resurrected three days later. And that resurrection definitively proves he's stronger than the penalty of sin and death. That means sin and death has no more weight, has no more bearing upon us. So Paul goes, that's all I wanted you to hear from me. That's all I came to you and all I wanted to tell you. Then did you catch what he said in verse three? Look at what he writes here in verse three. He says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. That verse catches me a little bit off guard. Do you know why? If there's anyone that should have strutted into Corinth with swagger and confidence, it was the apostle Paul. Like if you look at this dude's resume, he's got the most stacked Christian resume other than Jesus in the entire Bible. Prolific church planter. Guy plants hundreds and hundreds of churches. Does the miraculous like you would not believe. Like it's kind of intimidating to me as a pastor. Paul's handkerchief heals people. The fray of his garment heals people. Like I go to the hospital and I will pray for someone. Ask fervently for the Lord to heal them. Sometimes God answers that prayer. Oftentimes he does not. Paul's like, here you go, they'll be fine. Just take that, they'll be good. Paul walks up on a dead guy in the book of Acts and goes, hey, you're not dead anymore, get up. And the guy comes back to life. Paul exercises demons. Like I'll get up here and preach the Bible. But if a demon-possessed person walks in here, I'm not too sure what I'm going to do. There's this great scene in Acts chapter 19 where these seven young Jewish men, they see Paul exercising demons, and they're like, well, we want to do that. So they come up to a guy that's demon-possessed, and they go, hey, we command you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, come out of this man. The demon turns and looks at him and goes, I know who Jesus is. And I know who Paul is, but who are you? And then proceeds to beat these seven young men up so bad the text records, they're naked and bleeding. If you literally get your clothes beat off of you, you lost that fight horribly bad. (laughs) Did you catch what the demon said? I know who Jesus is and I know who Paul is. Paul's creating such waves in the spiritual world that demons know him on a first name basis. I mean, if there's anybody that should have strutted in there and be like, Corinth, all y'all about to get saved, it should have been Paul. But he walks in there with what? This is fear, weakness, trembling. Look, I don't have the resume Paul has. And if he felt fear, if he felt a little bit intimidated when he was going to share the gospel, what makes me think I'm never going to feel that? So maybe the question today isn't how do I not feel fear? It's how do I overcome that? How do I push right through that mess and still do what God has called me to do? Because let's be honest, let's be straight here. God has called us to talk about our faith. I mean, there's a massive verse right outside this wall here where Jesus' parting words say, Go out into all the nations, go out into all the ethnicities, and teach them what I have taught you. So, how do we overcome this fear? How do we push right through it? Well, we need to talk about a couple of different aspects. There's three W's that we're going to look at today. And the first one, the first big W I want to highlight with you is who we are. Who are we as Christians? Now in your notes, we'll write this down. This is really, really important. We need to genuinely love Jesus and we need to genuinely love people. If you've been in church for more than like 20 seconds, you've probably heard something like this. Maybe you've seen bumper stickers, you've seen t-shirts or hats. Love God, love people. I mean, this is the greatest commandment. This is what Jesus said. Here's the trouble, here's the danger with this idea. We're super, super familiar with it, which means we're likely to think that we're doing it when the reality is we're not. I've just learned as I'm growing, as I'm getting older and older, I'm finding that the affections of my heart are put onto so many other things rather than God. The affections of my heart get put onto hobbies, get put onto my family, get put onto work, get put onto money, get put onto all these other things status, comfort, popularity. All of those things vie for the affection of my heart. They're not necessarily bad in and of themselves, but when I start loving them more than God, the Bible will call that idolatry. So just because we're super familiar with this, we've got to be careful to not think, oh, I'm doing that. I love Jesus. Like Here's the way I always like to phrase it. Do you delight in Jesus? Do you enjoy Jesus? Um, or are you a little bit embarrassed of him? Or are you a little bit ashamed of him? Do you kind of keep him in the background? Sure, we can come here and we can play church and we can do this and rah-rah and Jesus all we want because it's safe to do that here. But when we're out and about, are we like a little bit ashamed of him? A little bit, let's just keep Jesus in the background. Because here's what I know. You will talk about things that you love. You will talk about stuff that you love. I love to snowboard. Absolutely love it. I will talk your ear off about snowboarding if you let me. And I don't give a rip if you hate the cold and you hate the mountains and you don't ever want to go snowboarding in your life. I'll tell you all about it because I love snowboarding. We talk about the things that we love. So listen, right out of the gates, we got to just kind of check our hearts. Do we really love Jesus? Or are we more concerned with our status? Are we more concerned with what people think about us? And the same thing with people. We need to genuinely love people. Look, we're really good at spotting when someone's phony, aren't we? We're advertised to all the time. Social media is just inundating us with all kinds of stuff. We know when someone's being phony. And so if you're treating someone as a project to just convert them, they're going to pick up on that. They're going to sense that you don't really care about them. Here's the hard part about genuinely loving people. People are the worst. If I don't get an amen from that, we're going to shut this whole thing down. We're going to just walk (laughs) out of here. and we can't be real, we're going to get out of here. People are difficult to love. They're super challenging. You and I will not be able to manifest the kind of love God is calling us to by our own effort, by our own strength. We won't be able to. We're going to need God's help to truly love those that are difficult to love and not just treat them as a project to convert, to love them right where they are at, as difficult, as frustrating as they can be. If we don't nail these two things down first, man, we're, we're always going to struggle. We're always going to be behind the eight ball, we're going to be struggling but there's something else we gotta make sure we have dialed in in your notes. You don't have to be perfect to share your faith. You just have to be humble. In the words of the very smart theologian, Kendrick Lamar, be humble, be humble. The enemy loves to play this little game with us. He loves to do this whenever the door of opportunity cracks open and we have a chance to share our faith. He loves to go, hey, You can't share your faith. Remember you were cussing like crazy the other day at work or you got too drunk at the Christmas party, right? You mooned your friend as they came out of the bathroom. You thought it was hilarious, scarred them for life. You were flipping people off as you're driving down the road. You can't, you can't share your faith. Hey, what about all that secret sin you have? You can't, you can't tell someone about Jesus. Who are you to tell someone about Jesus? And the enemy loves to play this game of going, you you need to be perfect before you can tell people about the Lord. If that's what you're waiting for, you'll never tell someone about Jesus. Look, we don't have to be perfect. You're never going to be perfect. I'll spoil the surprise. What we do need to be is humble. So what that means is when we make mistakes, when we do things that are wrong, we own up to it, we confess, and we repent. We reconcile with people that we've hurt, that's what it means. It takes humility to go do that. So we'd be humble. Now I need to throw a little caveat onto this to make sure that we're balancing the scales out here. It is important though that we do recognize holiness is a loud testimony in and of itself. A life that is lived well unto Jesus, a life that is joyfully submitted unto Jesus will shine brightly in this world. So look, you don't need to be perfect, but let's balance the scales here. Christ calls us to obey him. He calls us to live in holiness. So I heard one pastor say it like this, and I always thought this was really cool. If we are joyfully submitted unto God, there should be a delightful strangeness to us. We should be delightfully strange in this world, right? I didn't say annoyingly strange, There are a lot of Christians that got that one nailed. No, 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 no. Delightfully strange. People should look at us and go, you're kind of weird, but it's kind of cool. Like when the Bible calls us to handle certain aspects of life in the way that it does, it's different. I mean, the Bible calls us to hold money with an open hand, to be generous, to look out for the disenfranchised, to give, to give joyfully, that's strange. When the Bible calls us to sexual purity, are you kidding me? That's crazy. You know the beautiful part about it? There's freedom in it, there's restoration in it. God's not calling us to sexual purity because he wants us to be repressed and miserable. He's like, no, I, I wired this up, I know how it works best. Here's how it works best. I mean, when God calls us to handle food, to handle wine, to handle work, to handle diversion with temperance, with self-control, with balance, that's, that's different than the world. The world will say, go after all those things with everything you got, idolize them, worship them. And the Bible's gonna say, no, 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 life's not there, it's over here. There's this great phrase in the scriptures that those who are submitted unto Christ have the aroma of Jesus on them. It's like we're walking around this, this dead, rotting, decaying world that's just full of sin and death and nothing but, nothing but death in it, man. It's just wrecked. And you and I have this, like this aroma to us, this perfume. Make no mistake, holiness is a loud testimony, a bright light in this world. And finally, I want to show you this here about who we are. God has specifically placed you he specifically placed you to reach certain people. To me, this is one of the, one of the coolest truths in the Bible. I, I love this. It's found in Acts chapter 17. And what it does is it makes the mundane no longer mundane. It, it takes kind of the boringness out of Christianity. Check out what Dr. Luke says here in the book of Acts. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth Now watch this. He marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. So the Bible just said here, God has appointed the time that we are living in and the boundaries that we are living in. You are not in Modesto, the greater Modesto area or the Central Valley by mistake. The coffee shop you go to, the job that you're at, the school that you go to, the gym that you frequent, the parks that you go to, wherever and however you do life, God has specifically placed us here so that we might be a bridge for those who don't know Jesus to find Jesus. Doesn't that just take the mundane out of your life? Like Christians should never ever be bored. Something as simple as going to Target, something as simple as going to the gym, as going to a coffee shop. You're like, dude, God has me here for a reason. There's possible divine appointments everywhere you go. So you may hate the job you have, you may hate the neighborhood you have, you may hate wherever you go to school. You need to know God's got you there specifically for a reason. It's not an accident. It's not an accident so that people might reach out and find God and you would be the bridge to find them. That to me is really, really cool. So let's be people that love Jesus well, love people well. You don't have to be perfect, just be humble. And realize you're right where God wants you to be. Now, with that kind of teased out, with that kind of fleshed out a little bit more, let's chat about what we do. When the moment actually comes to share our faith with Jesus, how do we do this? First and foremost, we need to rely on the Holy Spirit. We must rely on the Holy Spirit. Did you see Paul nail this down in 1 Corinthians 2? In verse 4, he says, My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. So He's like, listen, I wasn't a smooth talker. I didn't come to you guys and had my speeches dialed in, my speeches nailed down. He says this, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul's saying, I didn't want you to be impressed with me. I didn't want you to look at me and be like, wow, that guy is so smart. He's like, I came to you and purposefully lowered myself so that the Holy Spirit of God might shine through me. What does this mean for us? This means for us, daily you and I should be praying, God, would you lower me so that you might shine more through me? Our whole word last year of 2018, the John the Baptist said, you must increase, I must decrease. But there's another way we can rely on the Holy Spirit. I want to show you a specific prayer we can pray. Colossians chapter four, check this out. We're going to throw this on the screen Paul says these words, pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So Paul's prayer there is, Lord, would you kick the door open a little bit for me? And when you bust that door open, help me to say what I need to say. Give me the courage to step through that door and say what I need to say. You've got two options. You can try and force the doors down. You can try and crack open someone's heart or you can let God do it. I'm just gonna venture a guess and say God's way better at that than you. Let's pray that God would open up the doors, give us opportunities. And when that door opens, give me the right words to say when it comes. We rely on the Holy Spirit. Spirit, shine through me. May this not be about me. May it be about you. Give me the right opportunities. Now, when those opportunities kind of present themselves, let's talk about this. We have to be a people that engage. We have to engage people. We've got to be a group. We've got to be a body of believers that are actively going after others. Here's what you're going to see when you go to public places. When you go to the mall, when you go to restaurants, when you go to coffee shops, you're going to see the majority of people glued to their phones or they're going to have headphones in. Both of those are the universal sign for, I don't want to talk to you. Now, I'm not saying that you go up to them and you rip out their AirPods and you're like, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. (laughs) You might get slapped. You honestly kind of deserve it. There are spots where we can engage. We can engage people. So how do we do this? We need to initiate conversation. In your notes, we are the ones that initiate conversation. Church, you cannot expect the unbeliever to come to you and initiate a spiritual conversation. we got to be the ones to do it. Now, how do we do this and not look like absolute buffoons? You don't go up to someone and go right for the jugular. Hey, let's talk about hell and salvation. I remember when I was uh, going to church, the, the one that people always used was, if somebody put a gun to your head and pulled the trigger, where would you go? I was like, whoa, dude, that's aggressive. How do we get into spiritual conversations tactfully, smoothly, in a way that's endearing, not clumsy? There's a couple of ways that I love to do this. Um, I love to ask about family and I love to ask about hobbies. Hey, tell me about your family. What was it like growing up? Where'd you grow up? what did you guys do? What were you into? What vacations did you take? You kind of ask all these different questions. How many brothers, how many sisters do you have? Big family, small family. What were some of the hobbies? What were some of the traditions you guys had? And then I love slipping this question. Did you guys ever go to church? Was church ever a part of your uh, upbringing? Because it's just in the flow of the conversation. And now you get a chance to hear about their spiritual beliefs. They'll tell you. And you can kind of gauge, you know, where are they at? Oh, yeah, church was a big part of my life. You know, I still go to church, blah, blah, blah. Or, nah man, we didn't really go to church. You know, it wasn't really a big part of our lives. Uh, you know, so I don't really go to church now. I mean, I don't know. And, and then you can kind of go, hey, it, I got a cool church. If you ever want to come, I'd love to have you. Love to have you come join us. Talk about their hobbies. If it's a Friday afternoon at work, hey, what are you doing this weekend? And they're going to tell you all about the stuff that they're going to do this weekend. And what do they usually do when they're done talking? They're going to ask you, what did you do this weekend? I went to my kids' baseball game, went fishing, I went to church. I went to church. Have you ever been to church before? Is that something you're into, or is that you don't even, are you not really into that? And they'll tell you. And it's in the flow of a conversation. You're not just awkwardly dropping the Jesus hammer on them. You're just kind of naturally talking. It's way smoother, way easier to do, and you're getting them into spiritual conversations. Now, maybe for some of you, you have friends, you have family that know you're a Christian, but for whatever reason, you've just never brought it up. You've never had the spiritual conversation. Here's the one that I love to use it just kind of gets all the awkwardness out of the way. I love to do this. I go up to a buddy, you know, whatever, you've been friends for a long time, never had the spiritual conversation. You go up to him, you're like, hey, you know what? You know I'm a Christian, right? Yeah, I know you're a Christian. What kind of Christian would I be if I didn't ask you what you think about Jesus? Because you're just getting it all out of the way. You're like, hey, you know I'm a Christian. You know we have to do this, right? You know we got to have this conversation. What kind of Christian would I be if I didn't? And they're going to be like, you'd be a terrible Christian. Thank you for asking me. I'll tell you. And then just keep your mouth shut and listen. Listen to what they have to say. All right? You've kind of just pushed all the awkwardness out of the way. Now you've engaged them. You're, you're the one initiating conversation. You're the one that's kind of directing and steering the conversation towards Jesus. There's another way that we can engage people. It's in your notes. We can serve people. This works great when things are going badly. When things are difficult, maybe things are difficult at work, things are difficult in the neighborhood, wherever it might be, a great way to just engage someone is to serve them. Bring them some donuts. Bring them some coffee. Bake them some cookies. Bake them some brownies. Do something where you can serve them. And here's what I love to say. This is a little tagline I love to say. Hey, I've noticed things have just been tough. I just wanted to be a blessing to you. How are you holding up? How are you doing? You doing all right? And the beautiful thing about meeting someone when they're in difficult times is that challenges, uh, trials, they're like, they're like the primer for the Holy Spirit to work. I mean, all through the Bible, you see God doing powerful work when he brings us through challenges. People are receptive. They are primed to hear the hope of Jesus when they're going through trials. Do you know why? Because they're face-to-face with reality. Reality. They're face to face with that life is hard and we don't have as much control over it as we'd like to think. So when you gently, lovingly come and serve them, hey, I I care about you, man. I wanted to bring you a fat plate of cookies. I hope this helps. I want to know how you're doing. Can I pray for you? How are you doing? And I, I know the difficult stuff that I've gone through, it's nothing like what you're going through, but the difficult stuff I've gone through my faith in Jesus, my church community has helped me out a ton. If, if you want to come check out church with me one day, you are more than welcome. We would love to have you. See how you can do this and not be super heavy-handed and awkward about it? So we engage, we serve. And as we're having these conversations, there's two things that we really need to hit on. Uh, we need to share our story. We need to share our story. God has given you all a very special story. The beautiful thing about your story is that it's not my story. Your story has been specifically designed to reach people. Because remember Acts 17, you you do life with people that I'll never meet. You run in circles that I'll never run in. And your story is designed to reach certain people. Now look at me, if you've got like a really simple, basic story, like you were born in church, you came to know Jesus at like five years old and you just never really deviated. You've always loved the Lord, you've always walked with him. Don't hate on that testimony. Praise God for that testimony. That's a spectacular testimony. Church, we always love to highlight, you know, the crazy drug addict, jail, like all that stuff. Praise God for that testimony too, but praise God for the one that just faithfully walked with the Lord. Your story can reach somebody. Your story has the power to impact someone. On the back of your outlines, you'll see that we kind of made a little template here of how to write your story. One of the best ways to write your story is to think of it like this. What was your life like before Jesus? How did you come to know Jesus? And now what's your life like after meeting Jesus? We've given that there for you just as a reference to kind of think through. So we share our story. One of the other main points that we want to hit on as we interact with people is the death resurrection and the life of Jesus. We need to explain the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. You saw Paul nail on that in 1 Corinthians 2, right? Paul's like, listen, I came to you and decided to know nothing else but Christ and Christ crucified. So one of the texts that I love to bring people to when they're really curious about Christianity, when they're starting to ask the important questions, I love going to 1 Corinthians 15. Because in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul explains that when Jesus resurrected from the dead, he showed himself to the 12, and then he showed himself to 500 people in Jerusalem. Jerusalem's a major metropolitan city, showed himself to over 500 people. That verse was a game changer in my faith. I turned a serious corner in my faith when I started learning what that verse meant because it meant that the claims of Paul were testable and falsifiable. Paul just said the resurrected Christ showed himself publicly to 500 people. Don't take my word for it. You can go ask them. Look at me, church. If he's lying, the gospel should have died on the table in the first century. Christianity should have not spread anywhere if Paul's lying. What do we see historically? The gospel goes viral through the Greek and Roman world spreads like wildfire. You can't build the church on a lie if you're making those kinds of claims. Do you know what this meant for me? It meant, oh my goodness, Jesus really was real. He really did die. And he really resurrected. He really came back from the dead. He showed himself. This wasn't secretive. The apostles weren't trying to spread some kind of hallucination. They're not trying to spread some kind of lie. This is a game changer for me and I love to share it with people. I love to go, man, look at this. This is crazy, right? There's a real Jesus, a real savior. There's real hope. We don't have blind faith. We don't have pie in the sky mythology. Our faith is anchored in something true. I just love to share that with people. So this is what we do. We want to share and we want to be careful with this. And as we're sharing, next point in your notes, let's be sure that we're assessing. We're assessing how these people are receiving it. Because you're going to have two groups. You're going to have those that are very receptive and you're going to have those that aren't. Church, we need to be okay with both. Jesus never forced himself onto anyone. He simply presented the truth and left the decision up with us. We need to be okay with those that are receptive and excited to learn more, but we also need to be gentle and respectful to those that do not want to hear more. For those that do not want to hear more, we thank them for hearing, hey, thank you for listening to me. If you ever have more questions, I'm always here for you. But there are going to be people that want nothing to do with this. We need to respect their freedom to choose because Jesus did. So we need to kind of feel it out, assess how this is going. Now, I want to bring our close, bring our time to a close by sharing with you two truths about what we believe. And I believe these two truths will alleviate some of the stress. They're going to take some of the pressure off of us. Here's what we believe in your notes. That salvation is of the Lord. The result of conversion is is not dependent on how well or how poorly you share the gospel. Praise the Lord for that. Doesn't that just take some of the pressure off? Like you don't have to be a smooth speaker. You don't have to be a theological PhD. You just have to share your story. Talk about what Jesus has done. The results of conversion rest in God's hands, not ours. So listen, the win for us is just sharing. That's the win. I love how the prophet Jonah explains this. Look at what Jonah says in chapter two. But I with shouts of grateful praise will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. It doesn't come because I'm a smooth speaker. It doesn't come because I know all the arguments in favor of Christianity. It is a miraculous work of God. Secondly, here in your notes, success for us, is just being faithful and obedient. God has called us to share. Our job is to share. Before you pack your notes up, the Bible uses this imagery all the time of planting. That some people plant seeds, some people water the seeds, some people pull weeds out to protect the seeds, but it's God who makes the seed grow. You have no idea, you have no clue as you share your faith what you are doing in the process. Maybe you're the first one to plant the seed. Maybe you're watering the seed. Maybe you're helping pulling some weeds out that are choking the life out of that seed. You have no clue what role you're playing in that person's walk. Honestly, you don't need to know. Your job is to just be faithful. You have no clue what kind of chip in that person's wall they've built around their heart you may be playing. Your job is to love them and to faithfully share. So here's what I want to do. Here's how I want to close our time off today. I want to close our time off with a challenge. A la my seventh grade Christian club. I know you're nervous. I know you're afraid. It's not going to be too bad. Here's what I want you to do. On the back of your outlines, you had that little template of how to write your story. I want you to take 10 minutes today. Do it today. If you wait until tomorrow, you won't do it. 10 minutes today. And I want you to just kind of write out what your story is. And then I dare you to pray this. I dare you. God, would you give me an opportunity this week? Would you crack open a door sometime this week for me to share my story? We've got on the back of those notes, a book, a book by the name uh, by the man of uh, the name of William Faye. It's called Share Jesus Without Fear. Spectacular little book. It's a resource for you. If you're interested in more of this, if you really feel like you could use some deeper training on this, this is a spectacular book. Wanted to pass it along to you. I've got a free copy here, in fact, if anybody wants it. Is there anyone here that wants this? Yeah, I saw you right here. We're going to frisbee it to you. Oh, what a catch, almost. The Raiders might need you next year. They could use you. I always take a good chance to take a pot shot at the Raiders. Always going to do that. Hey, I love you guys. Thank you for being here. Let's close our time in prayer. Father, I want to thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. I want to thank you that our faith is not um, pie in the sky mythology, Lord. It's anchored in objective, real truth. Praise you for that, God. Um, I want to pray, Lord, that you would use us to your glory and to your end, God. We are broken, fallen people, prone to failure, prone to wander. Lord, by your spirit, would you uh, train us up? Would you correct us? Would you lead us into righteousness, God, and empower us, empower us to be people that are uh, faithful and obedient unto you? Um, God, I pray that you would open doors this week. You would open opportunities for us to share the hope of Jesus, share our faith, have spiritual conversations. Um, Thank you, God, for all that you are to us and for us. And I pray again, Lord, you'd bless these men and women keep them. Cause your face to shine on them, I pray. I pray these things in your wonderful name. Amen.